Hello and welcome to episode 129 of what most people think. I am recording this ahead of time because I am I'm hopefully out of the country on holiday. But of course, I would not, you know, especially with the Patreons, uh, miss out a week's show. So, so I'm either sunning myself abroad or I failed my PCR test and I'm drinking myself to blackout at home. Either way, it's a week off. It is a week off. Um, so yeah, I got ahead. At, or I don't know what's happened in the news, evidently. So I'm recording this on Sunday morning, a bit hungover. You might be able to hear that in the voice. Went to see AFC Wimbledon yesterday against Sunderland. Uh, had a few beers with the lads. Went out. Had a curry, and uh, well, I think we we ex- we all extended ourselves a little bit. You know, I don't think we're Madras people anymore. Let's let's put it that way. The the talk on the WhatsApp group today has been mainly about uh, consequent issues from the, from the curry. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what's happening this week. I don't know if we are. You know, maybe there's been some sort of nuclear destruction, and maybe maybe I'll be getting a suntan off the. The nuclear winds instead of <laughs> just blowing, you know, get some gamma rays on my face. But um, so so if I'm not across the topical stuff, that'll be why. Uh, also on that note, the new Patreon. So I'll do a big sweep of those uh, next week. But the, what I lined up for this week uh, is a great one. It's Russell Kane. What a brilliant, brilliant comic. I mean, when you see him, he's, again, he's one of these sort of tour de force type people and you've seen him a lot on television and stuff and he has some excellent social media content too um but I just scratched the uh, sort of picked his brain with scratched his brain that's not the phrase. this is this is hung over jeff talking i i picked his brain about a number of subjects and we started off and it, you know we had a had a laugh and stuff but then i think he offered some really interesting takes on on the kind of censorious uh, and then the cancel culture and, the, you know, the, the attempts in some quarters at censorship uh, in comedy. And it's very rare that you speak to someone where they make a point and you go, I'd never thought of that, <laughs> especially in the social media age. But it happened several times uh, with Russell. So I will be doing a thank you and a fuck you, just a couple of quick ones. The thank you is to Poppadoms. I had Poppadoms last night and I just thought, God, I am going to... I think me and Romish discussed this, but I'm going to open a Poppadom restaurant. Or maybe... A restaurant that just does all the best starters, like you know, you know the th- the Thai and the Chinese starter platters. You just work your way through those because, my God, it's like it's like a child designed food. You know, you get this thing and you break it up, and then you get a little spoonful of this. I'm, I'm going to get hungry again. I'm hung. I might, <laughs> I might do this. What a hungover decision this would be to go double curry, to go double curry in middle age. This would be unheard of. You know what I mean? I think my, I think my. I think my intestines might just get up and fucking walk out if I do that. You know, Jeff, you're 45, but um, so the fuck you is to, I think it's Midland Trains. I got a train from uh, Milton Keynes to Euston on Saturday. And um, at one point, there was a train at quarter past 11 and it just suddenly disappeared off the departures board. And everyone was scratching their heads and freaking out. And then I spoke to one of the um, the staff there and he said, oh yeah, what's happened is, we had they've radioed through and said that the train's really busy and they're standing room only. So we thought we'd just take it off the schedule. <laughs> but they're standing room, right? So people could make the decision to stand. No, yeah, but we, we we just thought, you know, we we would we a make that decision for you, but b not in any way explain our fucking logic. So the people waiting for the train and now I think was it some fucking ghost train? Has there been a crash? What what has happened? I I don't know what's going on with companies. I don't know if I've just hit. A certain age, but I'm finding and and email me uh, what most people think UK at gmail.com. Are you just finding just people being shit at their jobs? I don't know if there's kind of some kind of chronic lag uh, 
from the pandemic. Do you know what I mean? Like we're all recovering and we're dealing with some some subconscious bullshit that we don't realise. But there's a lot of people just being shit at their job. And in ways like, you know, you know when people make uh, unforced errors, you know, like in tennis where they just, just have a nice big meaty forehand that goes straight into the net. I think every com- company that I'm dealing with at the moment is just slapping forehands into the net. Don't, look, if you're going to take... <laughs> God, they did say this would happen in middle age. You know, I'm moaning, I'm moaning about uh, public transport. What, what, what's it going to be next week, Jeff? You're going to moan about how how music doesn't really sound like music anymore. Okay, let's get into the chat with the brilliant Russell Kane. Okay, uh, making his uh, debut on uh, what most people think is is the brilliant Russell Kane. Welcome to the show. Hello, Jeff. How you doing? I'm all right, man. I'm all right. It's, it, you are the, the punters ain't going to be able to see this, but you look fantastic. It's really I look really? so fucking bedraggled. This is going to be a hard interview for me having to look at my face and then at yours. I'm literally I'm literally in my pajama t-shirt, out of bed, haven't combed my hair, nothing. This is bedhead. So um, that is even more of a compliment. You're making it worse. I mean, you're just, you're just like, you know, like one of those women, like, oh my God, I just threw this on. I just threw this face on. I, w- I woke up like this, literally. <laughs> um, how, are you out touring at the moment, mate? Are you, are you doing, uh, doing live shows? I'm just doing little warm-up ones, not previews, because the show is fucking honed and ready to go. Mm. Uh, but I just got impatient waiting for the... Um, the tour to start in March, April. So I said, rather than keep doing these insane, can I gig at your local comedy club for free with no mic and no lights, which I was doing on a regular basis and mugging myself heavily, yeah. even though I enjoy the challenge, it's like Rocky One punching frozen meat in the basement because you can't afford a punch bag. <laughs> I said to my manager, why don't we add a shitload of last minute tiny weenie venues, literally two weeks before, and use those to get, because I need to be on a hamster wheel constantly. I've got so much energy. I said, then we're making a bit of money. We're we're supporting the smaller venues, which don't have the queue around the block for people to play them, like the 1,000 to 3,000 seaters. So it's all good things rolled in. So I'm doing weird shit I've never done before, like Market Drayton I was at last night. 200 seats, but mate, what a gig. I wish you could get that atmosphere in two, three, four thousand seats. You just can't. It's it's not possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a sweet spot. And and, and I say this as someone who who is able to do sort of 400. I think 400, conveniently, is the 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 sweet spot. 500. 500 is lovely. You get that feel of a big rush of laughter, but the intimacy of hitting the back row with your energy. I agree. You mate, remember when we could hit the back row with other stuff, eh, Russell? Remember? Yeah, in years I still gone can. By? I'm biohacking. I'm able yeah. to ejaculate in a COVID-safe manner from two meters distance. <laughs> you you look like you've probably discovered some sort of herb or something that could make that possible. Yep. You are. I mean, that's one of the interesting things about you I is have. obviously we come from a, a not wildly dissimilar background, but you are you've embraced certain aspects of the metropolitan ethos right in terms of looking after yourself right you look after yourself quite well yes but at the same time out of all the people that have come from where i've come from and gone on to earn the money i've gone and live in a nice gaff i'm one of the few that all my friends are still my friends from home my social life is still my family my mums my aunties my cousins yes okay i might go out for a a, a coffee with a, a a comic if it's around a project or we're talking it's not that i'm unfriendly it's mm. just, I've obviously just thought, I love my friends where I'm from and I'm sticking with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I kind of did the same thing. I went to university, but I didn't go and live there. I commuted. <laughs> and and, and, yeah. and in, in comedy, there, there's literally a handful of people that I've become friends with. And um, so consequently, you're probably the same as me. I never know the gossip, right? No, I'm, I'm, an, out, I'm an outside. I, I did worse than that. I turned my life around to go to university from an unbelievably tiny odds. I had to get an A grade to prove to the university I wasn't just a junkie waster, which I yeah. got. And uh, I was living with my nan at the time in, in a single uh, box room of a housing association flat. I couldn't even have, didn't have a wardrobe. I had to stick my clothes on the wall using these um, hooks that you stuck on the wall I got from the co-op. Mm. And I thought, I just don't want to turn into a wanker. But at the same time, I saw all like the video spring break and all the carnage and shots in halls. I wanted both. So I went one better than you. I went to the mm. campus that was 20 minutes from my nan's house and lived there. <laughs> So I was able to pop home to see my nan and all my mate, but also get on it. <laughs> yeah, you always have the option of a boiled bacon sandwich. You want a boiled bacon sandwich, boy? Oh, yeah. It's toad toad in the hole. She used to make it in a loaf tin. So, like you know, like a little loaf tape tin with all cocktail sausages sprinkled through. The toad in the hole would be like that. She'd serve it with gravy and a side order of chips and yeah. a sandwich on the side. Mate, <laughs> that was me set. And a <laughs> do you, is there a thing anymore like you know when when you when you're named off your sandwich you go one round or two that's not a thing anymore no one thinks that someone would want two sandwiches while having a sandwich and then you just have to you'd have two and then you just pass out on their couch bread isn't even a thing anymore jeff if you're middle class <laughs> <laughs> just just a collection of seeds i mean it's interesting that i wanted to get to class <laughs> I, I wanted to get to class but it, it feels like we started it so let let's Let's sort of do that thing that working class people do where we do working class credentials, all right? Where we sort of battle each other to decide who had the shittest life. Let's do it. Um, Bottom trumps, I call it. <laughs> so so we, we've already had housing association. That, that's good. But let, let's look at more sort of material markers, right? Holidays as a kid. Where did you holiday? Uh, Devon, um, oh, there you go. Devon, Devon, See. really. Till I was a, till I was about eleven, and then my dad told me we were going to go on an aeroplane for the first time, and I actually couldn't believe it. And we went to Menorca, and I fucking might as well have been going to space. And I went to Menorca when I was eleven, and then when I was thirteen, and then because of my age, it was just flights were starting to come down in price round about then. Yeah. And some of the some of the working cl- class kids at school whose mum and dad would sacrifice anything for their happiness, those fuckers, yeah. uh, they had gone to Disney and Florida and the dad basically sold a kidney and shit. <laughs> uh, my dad was one of the higher earner working class. He's skilled manual labour. He's a lagger, yeah. sheet metal installation engineer in the lagger. So that's decent money. It's probably fucking 80 grand a year job now. Yep, yep. And, um, so eventually, when I was 16, my dad finally said, gather around, boys, we're going to Florida. And me and my brother were crying with happiness. And while we were crying, he went, but not the shit tourist bit, the north bit where it's quiet beaches. Yeah. So we didn't even see Disney. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, I have to say, it's only the first marker here. I, f- I think you've outperformed me there. D- Devon, I, we used to basically go in a straight line from South London down to where the nearest sea was. Um, so you, <laughs> so Southampton. No, uh, well, it was it was the Bournemouth? Kent coast. You know, it was the Kent coast. No, no, from South London, it was the Kent coast. So actually, maybe a bit across, but it was a place called Dimchurch, which um, <laughs> it sounds sounds like it is. And they had um, they had the Dungeness nuclear power station was part of the of the view. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, yeah, I remember. I think that you know people that went went abroad to Spain. That was kind of like. Uh, 
a threshold. But there's also that thing, like you say, your old man earned well, but they were still obviously steeped heavily in working class values, right? But what are those values? Uh, well, on my... So I've, so when I speak to audiences, I say I've lived every tier you can live apart from the very top and the very bottom. So I've never been homeless yeah. and I've never been sort of aristocratic living in a 20 million pound house, mm. castle, you know, super elite private jet. I've never been either of those. But my first home for eight months, I don't remember, obviously, was a mother and baby shelter. So that's about mm. as far down as you can go. <laughs> so me and my, my dad, my dad would come, would work. They just didn't have a house, basically. There's nothing yeah. bad going on. So my dad would have to come and have dinner with my mum, a little bit of takeaway next to her bed and her cot. And my mum was in a shared room mm. for eight months. We went from that to council flat to council house. The Margaret Thatcher, Lord Lover, allowed us to buy our own council house. And that's when my dad just, that sort of transformed his pride. I think it had a real effect on me. I know it's not a fashionable thing to say, mm. but it did. And then, so then we lived in a private house on a council estate, and then I moved out private. And then I started again from the next middle class private flat, private house, semi detached house. Now I'm in a detached private, decent sized house, a big one that people would go, fucking hell, you got that. So I've literally lived at every tier. So I can confidently comment. Working class people isn't what people think it is, you know, like scratch cards and all that. We would call those people like the lower working class, like like the chads yeah, on the yeah. estate. We would look down on like scratch card Christine and her husband who signs on. You work, you graft. It's clues in the name, guys. If my dad's fucking liver was hanging out of his ass, he would have dragged himself on one claw to work in a factory or something. You don't sign on, you don't ponce, you don't bitch yeah. in public, you, you graft, you have a takeaway at the weekend and you do it all over again just going back to what you said about the sort of um, deregulation of the the airline industry this is something i felt when i first went and booked a flight myself in a travel agents right i just didn't feel like it was something people talk about imposter syndrome i didn't think that was something i was would be allowed to do i went in there i knew that the process was available to me but every step i just felt fucking anxious and, and I sort of had it in my head that I would need a responsible adult to kind of say, yeah, he's like a GP, like get my local GP along. <laughs> uh, this is Dr. Baxter. Uh, he's treated me for years. He, he knows that while a lot of my fr- my mates are wrong ones, I'm actually quite responsible. So excuse, excuse that. Hi, babe. I'm just doing the podcast. Can I give you a call back? All right, babe. All right. Love you. Bye, bye. Is that your best mate, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a wrong and I love you. <laughs> that is staying in. To my detriment, but a good joke is a good joke. Uh, but did you, did, you, did you ever feel that when you first, did you ever have that hesitancy or, or I guess you'd been on it. a flight to... So, so I, I, I um, started getting business class flights thrown in for a jobs I was doing. Uh, still, now I must have done that a good few times now. I still cannot get my head around. I'm lying on a flatbed in the air. I do the peasant skip, uh, sending pictures to the boys group, sending pictures to my mum, pictures of the buffet in the departure lounge. Look at this, fucking salmon everywhere. It's not worn off. And I said, yeah. it's a sh- I said, I remember Lindsay, we've been together 10 years now. I said, just it's going to be a shame when this becomes usual to us if I keep doing well. But it hasn't. Every single time we do like the pig nose, you know, when you have like a different boarding lane, my nose goes in the air, I fucking feel the absolute bollocks. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I've been given a freebie that I haven't earned that I'm blessed to have. I don't feel like an imposter. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm on a, like I've won something on Ant and Dex Limitless Wind Show and this is the prize <laughs> and I can't believe it.
Like when you get a hamper yeah. for free and you're like, oh, this shit we've been given. It's that feeling. Yeah, I, I think um, there's, uh, it's nice that there's some things that don't get old in life. I mean, one of my current obsessions is, and this started during the lockdown, is I can just have cans of proper Coke in my fridge. And, and just because when I was young, we, my mum went, went <laughs> for the... <laughs> my mum went for not just the shit brand, but like the needlessly shit brand. I mean, I'm talking. It was just brown water from Quicksand, yeah, right? We had all of that. Yeah, brown water. We had all that. Well, because there was levels, wasn't there? There was kind of like this one I had called Vogue Cola, um, and then there was kind of Happy Shopper Cola, Roller Cola, going up supermarket yeah. own brand Virgin, and then the Absolute Daddy, which is real Coke. And and I just I just think it's a wonderful thing, like you say. I, there's always a part of me that thinks that it will get boring, but. But it, to me, I open that fridge and I, and I look in it. I'm like, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. And, it, and I, it, that's why it's easier to be happy, I think, if you're work, working class. I would love to know if there's any stats on working class people that have made money versus middle class people that have made money and depression and, and happiness. Mm. Because there's a sort of, depending on when you got it, and I got it late, uh, there's a sort of core level of gratitude that you just can't eradicate. You just Unless you're a psychopath or a complete cock. Every morning, there's a little... If you were to work on it and there was a bit more ponce, you could probably sit there and close your eyes for a minute and go, how fucking lucky am I and have a banging yeah. day? That's going to be a lot harder if your name's Lottie or Ollie. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, actually. You, you mentioned there, like, uh, 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 you said, you know, semi-ironically about, God bless you, Margaret Thatcher. I mean, you know you, you know what happened to Molly May, mate. If you, if you even show even know. vague Thatcherite tendencies well what did you think just going out sideways to that of what what happened to her because i kind of felt like and i'm not the world's greatest feminist i think that might be an understatement but i did feel like when women in the public eye say anything that sounds a bit capitalist or even right of center they do seem to get set upon worse than men do you feel that and if you do feel that why is it well, you can see that some some of it's miso- misogyny inflected purely because there's still an un- we still live in an unequal society, and it, it's like like oh look at her woman above her station. She's 22 years old. She doesn't have the right. I mean, I, there's another story today with her. Funnily enough, that mm. she's releasing autobiography at 22. How dare she? So it's a, a prejudice against her being female, prejudice against her being young, and prejudice against her being a young wealthy female. The three things a lot of men in their 40s probably don't like if they're but, like, but these are the grub. guys right that would normally be uh, this is what a feminist looks like bloke but for some reason they do tend to suspend certain kind of rules of engagement when it comes to because I, do you know what I think Russell I think it comes from a sexist presumption is i.e. right first up the left is the goodies right so they think the left equals good then they think well women are nicer and so when you combine those two things, they sort of think, well, that's not very virtuous, is it? That's not very kind. Women are under they, no obligation to be kinder than men. Absolutely. And, and in fact, there's an, an analogous example here. Uh, the, the day we were recording, yesterday, it was a big thing about, um, and the day before, this, this footballer, Zuma, that kicked his cat. And mm. quite rightly, everyone in the UK was like, you fucking bellend. Uh, you deserve to lose your job. You deserve to get fined. But I slowly watched it turn to be after I put my shit out. I didn't even know the guy was black. I, I, I didn't even know he was French. I just thought he was a footballer called Zuma. I know nothing about football. I had to Google the fucker to work out who he was. I fucking love animals and I hate animal mm. cruelty. So I've gone hell for leather um, just for him, for his act. But I've slowly seen a few racially inflected people enjoying bashing him a bit more because he's black. It's the same thing again. So if a person of colour makes a mistake like that, they tend to get kicked harder than if white bloke mm. makes it. Although what he did was repellent and he's a total C-U-N-T and I'll tell him to his face. 
um, but I don't like the way that the, the vitriol gets inflected. Going back to what Molly said, though, what she said was wrong, in my opinion. Like, I, don't, I don't want to put, put any more fire on it. She, what she said that was offensive, I couldn't give a shit if she was a bloke, if she was 70 or if she was 20. What she said was that if you were only to work more hours in the day, you could solve your poverty. That's what she appeared, uh, appeared to imply. Mm. And, and you can just imagine if you've got like some woman in her 30s on Risperidone to keep her mental health issues at bay with one kid that's already in care and another kid hanging off her tit and living off frozen food because her wanker boyfriend's inside. It's not just a case of willpower and energy. There's other ch- fucking shit you need to do mm. first. And I think that just for some people, it was a little bit offensive. There was a bit X factor. Stand on the X factor spot and wait for the magic wand. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I do. Think, I suppose it's always appealed to me the idea. The reason that that I sort of uh, eschew victim narrative is, is simply because I have to believe that, that I can change my own situation, right? So, yeah, so even can. if and even if it's actually true, even if there are barriers in place that that are approved a barrier, even even to someone like me with all my privilege and the daily high five and hall of mirrors that I do just for being born a straight white man that <laughs> what's I don't I never understand where thinking in that way is going to get me that that's the problem all that energy that I expend talk, talking about uh, 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 inequalities valid though it may be is time that I could be spending creating stuff right agreed totally agreed and what you're saying is correct the mistake she made was She's right to say that we can all change our situation in some way, small steps at a time. She mm. forgot to leave out the most vital bit, that it's harder for some people and others, and others have a longer journey. I saw yeah. a brilliant video of a sports coach at uh, an American school, and he put all the kids... Have you seen it? He put all the kids in the line to run the 100 metres. And he went, when you're going to go, when I fire my gun. But first of all, I want everyone with a single mother to take two steps back. Mm. If you're female, take another step back. If you're African-American, take another step back. If your dad doesn't work, take another step back. Right, go, and made them Mm. race from those points. And he said, yes, you could all run, you can all put in as much energy as you like, no doubt about it. But we have to acknowledge that some people have got to run a little bit harder and a little bit further because Mm. they've been put back by their situations or whatever, or prejudice or disability or whatever it might be. That she just, it was clumsy phrasing. And unfortunately, clumsy phrasing in the Daily Mail. It could happen to me and you, it could happen off the back of this chat. Well, you know, that, that's, I suppose that's the issue that I have at the moment with kind of backlashes <laughs> to things is that, is that the scrutiny and the jeopardy of, of... I mean, this is what... I mean, podcasts, I think, have slightly less jeopardy than tweeting. Tweeting, you could immediately be in trouble, right? Yeah. Whereas podcasts, yeah. they've at least got to do a bit of effort. They've got to excavate. They've got to pull things out of context. And, and the tone in which you said yeah. something will still be there. But what I found odd was comedians going in hard on her. When if you weren't able to just run your fucking mouth on podcasts, right, without being held accountable, it would be a problem for comedians. Of all people, I just felt that we should look at a twenty-two-year-old influencer and maybe just apply in the same way that you should apply coefficients for poverty. We should also apply a coefficient that she's Absolutely. famous because she was she was on Love Island. She's right? twenty-two, but I, 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 the correct response was, well, I'm going to say this. My response. I didn't do an ad hominem attack. I didn't go for her. I didn't call her out. Mm. I didn't do one of my rants. On the next daytime topical show where it was debated, we took the issue from it, like we're doing now. We're saying, yeah. well, what is it? Are, can we all change our way equally with energy? Yes. But some people are starting further. We're having an adult discussion about it. We're not slagging her off. So when people come up with ideas that you don't agree with, I wish it just provoked 
heated exchange of ideas rather than a heated shooting down of an yeah, individual. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. She's not been racist. She's not been prejudiced. She's not hurt anyone. She's spoken from the heart about what she believes. Okay, Molly, great. Disagree with you. Let's have an interesting conversation about inequality off the back of it. All right. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Russell there. As I say, new patrons, I will pick that up next week. But I just want to remind people while I'm away, Keep buying those tour tickets. There's some dates in particular that I want to shout out that I don't think that I've mentioned very often. There are, we're going to Winchester, 27th of February. Uh, we're going to be in Newcastle on Saturday, the 5th of March. Wellingborough Theatre, the Castle Theatre on Wednesday, the 9th of March. We're going to be in Taunton on Friday, the 11th of March. And then the following day, keeping it down there uh, in the West Country. I'm going to be at Plymouth, the Quad Theatre on Saturday, the 12th of March. Belfast the 18th of March, the day after St. Patrick's Day. I have no idea why I thought that was a, that's an interesting booking, isn't it? I'm going to be at the Melrose Corn Exchange. It's in Scotland. That's all I know about it. It's Melrose. It's got a corn exchange. Once upon a time, they exchange corns. And now I'm going to be exchanging jokes uh, in return for money. And if you haven't bought your tour tickets yet, the new dates are selling well. Glasgow, uh, Saffron Walden in particular, that is going to sell out. Uh, Huntingdon on the 14th of March, another one in Maidenhead, and also I'm in Spalding up there in uh, in the Midlands. So, uh, yeah, get on it. All right, let's go back to my non-hungover-sounding self of several days previously when I was still a fresh-faced young man who hadn't added another hangover to his charge sheet. And let's get back to the chat with Russell Kane. So... I, I've decided to introduce a new format point to the podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, Go on. He's, I've got a son. He's called Seb. It's Sebastian for the mortgage application. Seb for the stag do. You know mm-hmm. it is. And, yeah. um, and I, he gets to ask my guest a question. And I thought he was going to say something really surreal. But he just said, why did you become a comedian, Russell Kane? Why? I mean, it's a big question in some ways, isn't it? Why? Uh, it was, I get really jealous when I see some of our colleagues from both sides of the pond, British, and go, I used to be a kid and I used to stand up on stage and make everyone laugh and I always knew. Mm. Or, or I, the first time I saw Billy Connolly on our TV, I just thought, man, I'm going to do that one day and I've always loved stand-up. I used mm-hmm. to watch American stand I, I, I am yet to find a comedian with less interest or knowledge of stand-up than me before I did it. I'm talking mm. zero and I was 28 when I did my first gig. So I've gone all the way through the um, childhood we've just discussed. Now, my dad was an older dad when he had me, meaning his humour was always going to be right wing anyway. But we're talking Roy Chubby Brown, Ber- Bernard Manning for stand up and Laurel and Hardy and shit like that for what for belly laugh comedy that I could join in with that I found funny, too. So I just thought I didn't have a problem with it because I wasn't sophisticated enough or educated enough to know. I just thought that, you know, but I'm at the end of the day, I'm a jungle rave. My friends are mixed, black, white, fucking everything going on. It doesn't make me laugh, that Bernard Manning humour, because I didn't mm. get it. because It wasn't about my world. So I'd got all the way to 1920 without any conception that there was another type of stand-up, which had started in the 80s, called alternative comedy. I knew nothing about it. Yes, of course, I'd seen the young ones, but that's hardly man or woman with a microphone. That's a funny series. Mm. And then I went to the one university down the road near my nan, no stand-up night, got all the way through those three years. Everyone's always told me, you're hilarious, but every group's got a hilarious mate. What's Mm. fucking special about that? It wasn't until I was doing middle-class job in an ad agency that they started to go, please try stand-up. You would fucking smash Edinburgh, all these people. So I googled Edinburgh. I thought it was ballet and 
opera mm. and stuff. Like, I thought that's what the Edinburgh Festival was. Googled comedy, started to realise, oh, right, Eddie Murphy, Robin Williams, their stand-up started. Uh, and literally, in a space of one week, went from that Google search to how to do comedy for free in London, called the first link, Comedy Cafe, called it, booked a slot in the August, then I had one month, and in that month I saw stand-up comedy live for the first time twice. I went to Jonglers, and I went to the comedy store, and then I went and did it. It was that mechanical, and it was done more like a dare, like someone saying, you'd be great at bungee jump, just do it once. It was that sort of vibe. It wasn't like, I'm going to try this, man. It's interesting. We we come in, we come from it from a similar point of view. I, I knew the big hitters like you know Eddie Murphy, Dave Allen, who my mum loved and stuff. But I did I didn't know anything. Didn't know about any of that. Thought Eddie Murphy all was I, an actor. And 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 all I thought all I thought was I just I just wanted to I had this desire to be on stage and be heard and to have my belly tickled essentially. And um, and and I remember like doing my first gigs and stuff. And you might have had this too. Was there is this the students of it? Uh, and I remember somebody say to me. You've never watched Bill Hicks. Just the way he said it, I, I still remember. I still remember. You know, like you don't remember these gigs from years ago. Done thousands of gigs. Now. Yeah. But he's on the south coast, and he just said, "You've never watched Bill Hicks." And it's those little. I've form- never heard of it. I'd never heard that name in my entire fucking life, Bill Hicks. Ever. I went all the way through uni with a mixture of middle class and working. I'd never heard that name in my entire fucking life until people started reverently saying it backstage at the comedy store and stuff and then I had to pretend to join in so and then go home and go like I do with what, what I call white people's music which I've never listened to so uh, 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 people will go you know like Oasis and Blur and I go I, I need to catch up because all the comedians I wanted to like me they were all into like indie music and shit like that and Foo mm. Fighters and things I'd never heard of and I just want to listen to Fucked Up Jungle or Techno while I'm lying on the floor like Stephen Hawking in Ibiza <laughs> I, just, I, had no, I had no what I call mainstream knowledge of things like that so I've had to learn them virtually in my 30s but you are like I suppose you are a bit of a, a renaissance man in a way it's been said about you before is that you've come to certain cultural things later in life is, is there that thing you know like with with Russell Brand when he says long words he has to say it in a certain way which sort of indicates yeah that maybe he's trying to cover off that he doesn't feel comfortable saying it when, when you wear your your sort of intelligence on your sleeve do you, do you feel like you have to package it or, or give it a flourish? Yes. Is, is there again that, again that imposter thing? In the opposite way, though. With all due respect to Russell Brown, if I feel a complex or profound thought coming, I'm like, what is the most simple or base way that I could phrase it that cleverly showcases the complexity in really, like, boom, bold words, something, something a bit catchy for the image? I would never, if I walked into a room of noisy people, think the correct word here is obstreperous, which it is. I just wouldn't <laughs> use it. There's no need to use it. Um, I know all of those words and how I, I'm embarrassed about how, how I le- learned them. Um, but, I, but I, unlike some other working class renaissance motor mouth people, and there's plenty of us, I wanted it verified. I wanted to go to university. I wanted to get a first. I needed to know it was real from people that were at the top mm. of the tree and there was no fucking way I was leaving that place without a first. No way. I've gone my whole life with fuck all, no recognition, shit GCSEs. It was like someone hit me with that one punch when I was 18 mm. with my failed A-levels and I just looked at the blood and I was like, never, ever, ever again. And then bang, it was A-grades and firsts all the way through. Oh, every module bar one on my degree, I got a first. <laughs> the, word, the word thing's interesting because I don't know anyone else that did this. So what happened was I got this punch, yeah? And this punch took the form. I was at a rave. It was a legal one, uh, a, a legal one in Vauxhall. I wasn't. Um, I was off my tits, and this girl came through the smoke, about two inches taller than me. Fucking beautiful girl, 
gets one of those girls just gets scouted. She just hand me her phone number. Mm. I was like, what the fuck? She's just taking a shine to me. We start dating, and she's by now I've failed at my A levels. I'm just working a watch shop. I'm just generic, fucked up over the park, working class boy sitting around with the glueys by the dog shit bin like everyone else on my estate. I just become what I was destined to become. But the thing with this punch that hit me in the face was this. When I was going back to hers and waking up, she was in halls in this same university we've just been speaking about. And I was waking up and seeing all these people, the other side of the gate, as it were, mm. the metaphorical gate, sat on the lawn, having a, some cider, clutching books from the bookshop. And the thing that wound me up the most, waking up at 11am and mm. trotting across to I was already, I was 18 at this point, like an old man hunched on the tube, broken, going to sell watches to rich people. I could feel my, my belly was, I'd lost, I'd lost my fitness. I was fucked at 19. I'd given up. And I was like, how dare the system be gamed so that I fulfil a role that was set for me at birth? Not me, mate, fucking Daniel, son. And that's when I was like, I'm going to be there next year and I'm going to get better grades than everyone with a better education than me. But, so that started to happen, but we had a problem. I was doing English literature and the problem if you're doing English literature is I physically didn't have... The language. I've got the basic vocabulary that everyone has, but to start learning about Jane Austen and Charles Dickens, which I was easily able to do, you still need to know what the word obstreperous means. What does the what does the word uh, impudent mean? I didn't know. I never heard it. So what I did was I got this system going. I was do it. I did all the texts I was supposed to do. But I was getting up an hour earlier and pre-reading mm. other books. And every time I encountered a word I've never seen in my life. Uh, remember, this is just before fast internet. I would yeah. get an index card and write impudent down. I learned the diacritic markings because at the end of the day, that could be impudent, impudent. I didn't have a, a clue. Taught myself the little ticks and crosses. And I wrote down all the cognates as well. Impudently, impudent. Russell, why I, am I, I getting up... 80s training montage uh, scene in my mind here? I mean, you, <laughs> you mentioned Rocky I built here. Up, I built up a thousand cards, Jeb. A thousand cards, and I did them on the toilet and stuff like that. And I only stopped using the card when the thought naturally occurred to me with the word. Then I threw the card yeah. away. This is, I mean, it's incredible. And one thing I'm thinking is that it's one of those things that if you got a girl back and she discovered it, she wouldn't think that it meant you're a murderous psycho, but it wouldn't mean that you weren't either. No. For some reason, there's no reason that should be bad, but a guy <laughs> with low, like an excessively kind of a grid referenced <laughs> thing of words. I had to manually, I had to manually upload my vocabulary, like learning French or Italian for the first time. I had to learn English properly, how to speak it, how to conjugate it, how to use whom and whom and them and there. You, I mean, talking about you on stage, I mean, Ooh. I say, you know, you're one of the best stand-ups I've, I've ever seen live. You're real, like, oh, mate. you are a tour, you know, you're tour de force. You bring so much uh, on stage. I feel at this point in time, there's a lot of talk about the negatives in comedy, what you can, can't say, and stuff like that. If We should talk about the positives. I reckon this is the best time I can remember to be on stage, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it's the audience need a laugh more than ever. I don't yeah, know if they definitely, definitely want to offensive gear or they want right-wing gear or, or any of that stuff. What I think that they do want is honesty more than ever before. Uh, I, was, I was just interested as to whether you're feeling something different in the air since we've come back after the lockdowns in terms of stand-up. Like I say, not, not that it has to be edgy, but a different appetite from the audience. Def definitely. I mean, um, the show, I mean, I say this every tour, what a bell end, but it's definitely the favourite show I've ever toured. It's the, mm. But it's certainly the first one that's ever won something I never thought I would win, which is when The Guardian do the top comedy show of the year. Now, The Guardian, mm. I read The Guardian, 
I love the Guardian to read it. I'll pair it with the Sun, obviously, yeah. just to balance it out. And uh, but it's you know someone like me who looks like me from my back is never going to be the number one win the Guardian Show of the Year award. I mm. did twenty twenty. I still cannot get my fucking head around that. So and I think what it is, it's the first time the show's not topical, topical niche Kumar topical, but it's about mm. twenty twenty and what we went through. Yeah, and it's just so electric and alive to bite down onto a live situation mixed with people that are have, again last night eighty percent of the audience never been shoulder to shoulder and maskless since twenty twenty mm. March. That's incredible, and they're sat there like we're doing like we're doing something wrong, like we've broken out <laughs> yeah, of a prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mixed with la- mixed with laughter while you're fleeing the prison. That's the difference in the atmosphere. And to have, for, for me, who's lucky enough to have a show that's talking about it, we've had, I've had tears at the end twice this week. So I sort mm. of dropped the mic, not Gadsby level. It's only for like 30 seconds at the end. I just do a little little magical bit at the end. Mm. People are crying and standing up. I mean, I never, I've never had that, not since my 2010 one about my old man pegging it. So mm. it's, um, I would agree with you. There's, there's magic in there and it won't last. That's what I hate. You can feel no, it fading day by day. I, I agree. I think one thing is, if you talk about like observational comedy often get, gets reduced to sort of garlic bread, but actually it quite simply is taking what's happening. This isn't, like you say, it's not topical. It's very rare that you have something that we've pretty much all been through all done. So you know, we're all men and women. That subject does well. We're all from the north or the south. Oh, fucking hell, Joe. Do you want to get cancelled? Do, do you want to think about the sentence you've just used? We're all men and women. That I and mean, that was the end of Jeff Norcott's career. <laughs> now, no, I'm not expecting you to come in on this. I am willing to be the the edge lord that suggests that there are, in principle, men and women. And I know, I know, I'm shocking, mate. It's amazing I get booked. Amazing that running running against the tired of public opinion. Um, but I I think that. There is something in a shared experience because you can sort of talk about getting yeah. your booster jab and you know that most people got their booster jab and if they didn't, they have a strong reason why why they didn't. Um, and I, I, I just what I sort of said in last week's podcast, I said, come and see this because I genuinely know the next one probably won't be as good. I mean, that's awful to say, but I genuinely... And probably yeah. people are going to play this back when I'm plugging the next one now. While we're while we're on the subject, sorry <laughs> of of plugging. Obviously, that this this tour is going to rip it and stuff like that. Obviously, yeah, loads of them sold out and stuff like that. Are, are there any are there any ones? We've all got those places that we don't sell as well. We like. Where's your place? Where's your place where you're like, what the fuck have I done? They are taking. I've never had a tour sell like this, which is incredible because on yes, okay, I'm doing a fair bit on Channel Four during the day, but on paper because of lockdown mm. and all that probably done less comedy telly than I've ever done in a year. I yeah. mean, that goes to show how fucking business model has changed. That said, Carlisle Sand Centre. Carlisle. One. Same, mate, same. I've got a gig in Carlisle, and, and I bet you'll have the same as me, where people give you shit when you announce your last tour. You never come to Carlisle, and then it turns out that the people that asked for that were the only two fuckers in Carlisle that were really yeah. up for it's it. It's because no one no one lives around it. No one lives around Carlisle. You've got to be in Carlisle to go. Did we've, um, you know, I'm not going to talk about, you know, the recent controversies too much, but um, it is, we do seem to be quite well rehearsed now into our responses. So we had the Jimmy Carr controversy and, and people sort of, one thing I do find, Russell, is that I find a lot of comics will sort of say in public that kind of, you know, cancel culture doesn't exist when, when, and then secretly confide in you in the, in the green room that are fucking terrified. Where, <laughs> where, where do you kind of sort of stand on the environment that we work in these days? Well, I, so I don't 
I don't believe it's more difficult to be uh, a comedian now, speech-wise, than it was. I think it was a hell of a lot fucking harder to be a stand-up. If we were sat with Bernard Manning, Jimmy Jones, Victoria Wood, about to do a gala in the 1970s, the Mm. list of shit you couldn't say was much, much longer. I mean, anything to do with sex, any swearing, I mean, how, the Queen. not being able to use a swear word to emphasise your... So people got to remember that, yes, there's different things you can be counselled for now that annoy Gary, Dave, Jeff and Russell a little bit more, but they mm. just replaced the other things that were much more difficult in the past. I, did, I was speaking to the audience last night. I, I said, it's really funny. So I did my first tour in 2009... And it's obviously, I fucking come on stage 100 miles now. I can't fucking fucking spunk shit. Like all this all over the place as well as mixed with the intelligent stuff. And the people that would walk out, always silver hair. I'm sorry, it's not you, young man. You're very nice on TV, but my wife, it's a little bit coarse. We're going to have to leave. Bit blue. Now, all the people with silver hair, they were, you know, they're the people who first watched alternative comedy. They're people in the 70s and yeah. 80s are crying, laughing, the ruder it gets. The people walking out... People aged 15 to 21 who are triggered or hurt. Oh, my God, it's so confrontational. So it's not that it's more difficult. It's just (laughs) public speech where you're trying to be provocative has always been difficult. Go back to the time of fucking the Bible and publish a pamphlet. See how far you get. Yeah, get out your time machine in Henry VIII's England and publish mm. a satirical leaflet. See if you still get your genitals at the end of the day. It's just difficult in, in a different way. What's happened when you're on stage and you find yourself cancelled is you have made a mistake. You've misjudged it. You've fluffed the decision. The world isn't against you. If I go out and accidentally use the N-word because I'm not thinking, I'm like, oh my God, this world we live in. It's like I've made a, I've made a theatrical mistake I've, I've taken my eye off the steering wheel and I've fucking bumped into someone. Well, but I, no, I think you made loads of really good points. And, and it's very rare to say this these days is you made you made a point. That I haven't heard anyone make and, and really given any thoughts to is about the sort of shifting paradigms of what's offensive. You know, if you was to just insult the Queen in, in 1970, that would have been a, a massive national outcry. Do you remember Julian Clary? Sorry I'm late. I was fisting Norman Lamont. Fucking finished him for a decade. A fisting joke. These days, it, fucking... You know, you'd see it at 7 p.m. Welcome to Naked Attraction, where I'm going to fist Prince Andrew. We go, oh, that's so brave. No one would fucking think anything of it. No, and, and, and if you remember not so long ago, you know, 2008-9, Saxgate, you know, essentially uh, an off-colour remark exactly. uh, on a podcast, and that did that did come from the right. So I think you're right in that it does move around. But, you know, if you get into the, the realms of a comic who goes on stage and, and just says, like you say, an unacceptable word, it doesn't have to be the, you know, one of those words that you're not allowed to say anymore. That's my question is, what should the consequences be for that? I think they should be that people have a poppier and you apologise. Maybe the difference now is there's a hardcore that seems to think that they should agitate for an outcome like you know the removal and 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 sanctions that perhaps that maybe that is the difference is that that how uh, active people are in trying to push for the greatest consequences but that that happens across the board though i mean heaven forbid that um sort of nish kumar or darren harriet or someone like that makes a a joke where there is someone with jewish ethnicity of which i have a bit at the core, do you think oh, everyone would go easy on them? No, they'd be fucked. So no. it's it's across it's a, it's across the board. It's not like it's not this big gang of, of of lefties waiting for white people to say the wrong thing. It's across the board. Sense sensitivities are, are, have changed. I'm a big fan of uh, 
which is ironic given I do Evil Genius podcast, but that is to take the piss out of lack of context. Of context, you, if you're talking about Jimmy Carr, which we argue mystically, you've got a massive track record of service mixed with a joke that's gone through a producer and an editor. They're, they're things to take into account. So this is why he probably will get away with mm. an apology uh, and then back on stage next week. He will. Massive length of service. We trust him. Mm. It's gone through an editor. It's a TV production. If someone who's a bit newer has a drink before they go on the gig and comes out, I'll use a comedy thing so I don't annoy anyone, and starts going about, he hates everyone from Liechtenstein, uh, fucking Liechtenstein scum and loses it, it's different. <laughs> It is a di- it's not like, well, we're no, sorry, we should have a process and an outcome mm. for both. No, one's a silly cunt that deserves everything he gets. The other's got a massive track record that's mi- maybe misjudged a ninja move, and it's, it's a more subtle uh, evaluation process. People from Liechtenstein are cunts, though. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> There's two types of comic, yeah? There's two, in, yeah, broadly yeah. speaking. There's someone like me spineless twat that just wants to be liked i will do anything to get a thousand percent of the people laughing and liking me if that means dropping jokes changing how i'm speaking you better fucking believe Mm. it's gonna happen then there's type b your Stuart lee frankie boyles Mm. hannah gadsby catherine ryan to a certain extent and jimmy carr they're gonna come out and if you don't like it fuck you and we like them because of that as well bill hicks would have been another one they're the ones who people are remembering 100 years not me Mm. the, the music hall jester so that they, they will come out and they've got a line. So the rule I follow, and I don't expect anyone else to follow it, is if everyone's put their hand in their pocket for 20 to 50 quid to come and see me and someone leaves and they're ups, upset and they're crying in their car, who the fuck am I to have done that to that person who's put 50 quid in their pocket to mm. come and see me? But that's the working class ethic coming through. That's the only reason I would never punch down, not because of some lefty, guardianista moral thing. It's like... If, to, if there's a couple from Nigeria in the front row and I do some horrible joke making fun of British Nigerians and they're crying in their car, I see that I feel like I've failed at my job, which was to for them who spent their mm. money. Maybe they booked a hotel and had a bit of dinner. It's my job to make them laugh, not to be so edgy someone leaves crying. That's just the way I view stand-up and not everyone else does. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things is it does make me laugh. The, you know, people... Often say about me, oh, he thinks he's edgy. I'm, I'm like, I'm so distraught if I've genuinely fucked someone off. Do you know what I mean? I'm not yeah. built. Sometimes I do like to get out on the front foot, but I'm equally not built to to deal with the reaction sometimes. Which means what I, what I think I do think, Russell, is I think that right. If I'm going to get in trouble for a joke, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to stand by this. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't want to. My worst thing would be to get in trouble for a shit joke. I think that would be that would just that would hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that would hurt. Because you go, oh, I've got to pull this energy into defending myself when I know deep down it's not a good joke, you know. So maybe, maybe no. the answer is in, you know, partly in what you're saying about is there another option, but partly just about quality threshold. Well, I, I've got in trouble for shit jokes, but but it's always I've punched up disrespectfully, and the joke's not good enough. So mm. I did, it was me and David Badil together actually made a joke about the Queen. I can't remember what it said. Something about the a royal flush. I think the punchline was a royal flush and she was having a shit or something like that. And uh, it went out, unfortunately, on Radio 4. And unfortunately, it went out when the Queen was celebrating something or other. And that was it. I was in the paper. Oh, you fucking scumbag. But because I'm just a peasant mm. going up to power, yes, I got it wrong. I just was disrespectful and I messed up. You can get away with it. 
if I'm going on to people that have no voice and no power, I, I, it's just not my sense of humor. It's just a taste thing. It's not a lefty thing. Mm. I just don't see where the... I can't think, think of something clever enough. The only time I make an exception is if it's people from my own culture that I grew up with. Then I'm more than happy to have a fun yeah. at Stacey being spunked on in the alleyway doing a scratch card, uh, you know, feeding a Finder's crispy pancake because I feel like, well, that's my first language. I'm well within my rights to dissect where I'm from. Yeah, yeah, I'm half Chav, you know. <laughs> I'm my first. La- I always say my first language is Chav. <laughs> Listen, Russell, man, it's been really great to talk. I know that obviously the tour is selling well, but I would urge people to get online if they can get any of the tickets left, then do so. Yes, please. Is, is, is there stuff uh, in terms of social media? Obviously, you do your canings and stuff like that. People uh, should check you out. Facebook is a place to go, right? The best place to go if you want tickets, and I'm going to be adding some like properly monster size rooms, so I will need some help with that. That'll be uh, russellkane.co.uk. If you go there, all the gig lists are there. Sign up to the mailing list and you'll get priority so you don't get the shitty seats. You can get down in the stalls. If you're a fan of the type of subjects that Jeff and I have been talking about, you know, should people be cancelled or kept, please listen to BBC Radio 4's Evil Genius, where I make fun of the very idea of it. And mm. at the end of the show, the panel have to cancel or keep anyone from fucking Gandhi to Amy Winehouse. It's very uncomfortable for cosy, hummus-covered liberals who come on the show to have to do that vote. So please listen to that. Well, no, also, I, I did the show. A... I did the show. And yeah. one of the, we were talking about Karl uh, uh, Marx. And it was funny because at the end, I think that because most of the comics were quite left-wing, they decided that he, he was actually a genius. He was fine. And I was left with the controversial uh, decision that maybe he wasn't the greatest bloke on earth. But yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant show, which I would definitely direct people towards. That and Man Baggage, which is where I get blokes together to talk about the things women wished men would talk about. And weirdly, we have a 50-50 listenership. It started out as a kind of sort of man brain men's issues. That was the vision. It's not that. It's like a manual that women can open. <laughs> and look inside and see what men are thinking. So it's, it's got a massive... I get lots of letters from support from, from guys that are, are struggling, like really deep shit. I don't know why they're telling me this stuff, but we use humour to attack those things. So it's, a, it's very funny, but always deep. So well, check out Man Baggage. Well, listen, we've only scratched the surface of stuff that we could discuss here and always interested in the sort of male psyche, so I'd love you to come back at some point uh, and talk yes, about please. that. But for now, I'm going to leave you in your new home and thank you very much for being on the show, Russell Kane. So that was the chat with a fantastic Russell Kane there. I hope you enjoyed that. There was some real, I think, real wisdom in there. Really interesting stuff about class and, and, and where he's coming from. He's a sharp-minded individual and a brilliant live act. So do go and check him out if you can get um, tour tickets. We just have one letter. There's one letter I do want to do before I sign out and, uh, you know, get me. Do you remember those things back from the 80s that, that people used to sit in deck chairs and wear the four like then the, the hanky on top of the head turned around at the four corners. Well, before I get whatever that was and, and email in, if you know what that was called, uh, we just got one letter that I want to do. Okay, this is from Chaz. <laughs> I don't know what was found on the name Chaz, funny. It's from Chaz in Dagenham. Uh, and Chaz says, Dear Jeff, my wife was recently talking about getting a boob job. At first, I was dead against it. And I said to her that I loved her boobs just as they are and that they'd seen a lot of action. 
<laughs> what an incredible thing to say. They've seen a lot of action, babe. Those two, they've been they're veteran of veterans of many campaigns. Look at that, you know. They've lived to tell the t- story, got the scars that tell the tale. Uh, she seemed to like that. Well, I mean, look, you, you've got away with one there. You've got away with one there. They've seen a lot of action. What an incredible thing to say. Um, she's now gone off the idea of getting a boob job. But meanwhile, I've started thinking maybe they could do with a refurb. Oh, you, Chaz, you, you're such a way with words, Chaz. Yeah, you know what, babe, I'm thinking about your tits. And they could do with a re-upholstering. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I suppose this is a conversation a lot of blokes have at a certain age where their wives have, you know, they've, they've sacrificed some of their perkiness through child rearing and all sorts of other stuff. And then, then they sort of talk about it. And then blokes initially, I think, would all go down the same road, which is going, no, nah, but no, nah, but because they think money, you know. And then and then they sort of think about it. <laughs> and they go, well, you could get these, babe. You know, start coming to them with suggestions. Um, and then the, the, then the thing is, is the bloke is always going to like think that they should go bigger. You go, well, babe, if you're going to get it done, do you know what I mean? It's like... You might as well, you don't want to go be going twice in a couple of years, do you? You know, you don't want to regret going too small. <laughs> so I would say that given the, you know, the fact that you said something, which was in essence quite sweet to her, that you like them as they are, I, I would I would say don't go back on that. I would say don't go back on that. And if you do do it, just do it in that pathetic way that blokes do is where you try and come up with some argument, you know, that it's about her self-esteem, you know, you go girl, go, you know, do that thing where they click their fingers. Um, but definitely don't say, yeah, no, I've, 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 I've had a think, babe. And, uh, yeah, as much as I do love you exactly as you are, um, y- you know, I'd love you even more with a set of double Ds. Uh, so, so on that bombshell, uh, that is it for what most people think this week. We will be back next week. I will hopefully have been away and come back refreshed or I'll have just sat in my house and, uh, just watched Star Wars for a week. What but either way, we will be back with another show. Podcast.